0: To as the Lenten season. has been mentioned uh, even tonight that we are moving now rapidly toward the Good Friday service, the Monday, Thursday, then the Good Friday service, and of course the death of our Savior, resurrection on Easter Sunday, and then ascends back to the right hand of the Father interceding on our behalf even tonight. It's a very sacred time of the year, though. Uh, I decided that I was going to move in that direction throughout these uh, services this evening and next couple of evenings. And uh, I want to make sure also that I acknowledge Brother Newland, he's his <coughs> pastor over in over Marysville, starting another church, have been quite into it now, and his son Elijah. Uh, so nice to have them come in on us in the service. But I want to deal in this area of what the Savior means to me. I told my wife many years ago, if I never get anything else done but brag on Jesus, I will have accomplished my purpose. I met him 65 years ago, and he has been the dearest friend I've ever known. And if you have your Bibles this evening, I'm going to ask you to open with me to the second chapter of the Philippian letter. Philippians, of course, was written from a prison house. The Apostle Paul was writing... In chapter 2, I want to read the first 11 verses, and I'd like for you to stand, if you could, for the reading of God's Word. Philippians chapter 2, beginning with verse 1. If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, simply meaning any affections, and compassion, fulfill ye my joy, that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord and of one mind. Let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. Look not every man on his own things, but every man also on the things of others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God. But he made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made or fashioned in the likeness of men. Being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself, became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven, and things in earth, and things under the earth. And that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. What a passage. Take me all night to exhaust it, but I want to take a few moments to share it with you. Father, thank you for your wonderful presence and the sense of your presence that goes with us day by day. We lean so heavily on, knowing, Lord, that life for us is fast eking out. It won't be long, as we have heard, even this evening we will go out to meet you. Thank you for gracing us with your presence tonight, for the ministry of music. Thank you for the prayers of your people and for these, Lord, that have come, set aside the duties of the day to worship you. And we ask God, together you will manifest yourself to us. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. You may be seated. Sometimes I think it's important just to give a bit of introduction to what I've just read because Paul, the Apostle Paul, was the author of this letter. Now, Paul, one time you well know, was Saul. And Saul, if you read the third chapter of this letter, he gives us his pedigree where he was of the tribe of Benjamin. He was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a Pharisee. He was a very brilliant man, he studied at the feet of Gamaliel, he had advanced beyond others in his life, but one day, having consented because he persecuted the church during those days and he was consenting to the stoning of Stephen, and when he saw Stephen die, before his death, Stephen looked up into the heavens and it said that he saw Jesus standing. It's the only place that's recorded where it said Jesus was standing, I believe he stood, to welcome home the first Christian martyr. And before he died, he simply said to him, lay not this into their charge. I can tell you that shocked Saul to his very core. He went away from there, never knowing a man who outlived and outloved and outdied his enemies like Stephen did. And so he was on the way, and finally he came to the road to Damascus, and you can read it in your Bible where it said a light above the brightness of the sun fell on him, and God spoke and said, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And the thing that was goading him was the fact that he witnessed the death of a godly man like Stephen. He looked at him and he said, uh, Jesus, what wilt thou have me to do? First Stephen asked, who art thou? And it was there that the wicked Saul was converted into the witness, Paul, the one who had been a murderer now would ultimately be martyred for the faith in Christ. When you study Philippians completely, you remember that all of that that he had earned previous to his conversion, he said, I count it as refuse that I might know him, Jesus, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering be made conformable unto his death. We're reading now this man who was converted by the name of Paul. By the way, who wrote 13 of the epistles in the New Testament. In this passage that I read briefly before you, he pleads for us to have the same aspiration that we aspire to be like Christ that he had. And consequently, he presents us with this lofty admonition in verse 5, and that's where I want you to focus your attention. When he said let the same mind be in you which was also in christ jesus i would just suggest to you that word mind is not intellect that's not what he's talking about it's the disposition of christ let this disposition you might frame it in this realm what was jesus's frame of mind what was his attitude and so we are to have or possess the mind of christ by the way this is the standard for the biblical Christian. The standard is not a first or second work of grace. The standard is the mind of Christ. Dr. Paul Rees said, the secret of following the master depends on the way we master his mind. And across these many years, I've tried to find and seek and to live the mind of Christ. It's the biblical standard that he asks me to live. Now, if you notice, Jesus, the Son of God, it said, made himself of no reputation. He took upon him the form of a servant, was fashioned in the likeness of man. He humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Therefore, Christ is the inspiration for his aspiration. If we aspire to be like Jesus, Jesus himself is our inspiration. When man sinned in the garden, initially after the creation, you remember God forbid them to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and Adam and Eve disobeyed God, and they fell from the heights of holiness into sin. When man sinned, he curved into himself. Martin Luther was avid about that fact. He curved inward. So consequently, the mind of Christ cannot be inward. The mind of Christ is not self-oriented, the mind of Christ is others-oriented. If you notice, you see it depicted in verse 4 where He says, let each of you look not after his own interest, but after the interest of others. Self-interest is diametrically opposed to the mind of Christ. Jesus' whole life while He walked on this earth was without regards to Himself romans 15 says he pleased not himself he said i always do those things that please the father so jesus because of that stepped down in this world he stepped down in order to lift you and me up he became poor that through his poverty we may be made rich He was made sin for us who knew no sin, that we may be made the righteousness of God in him. In other words, his deprivation, it was in order for our elevation to lift us up a new creature. So if we're going to live the mind of Christ, I'd like, if I might, for the next few moments, talk to you and share with you what his mind was. First of all, I would suggest to you, his was a very unselfish mind. He emptied himself, my Bible says. He emptied himself. Jesus made rivers that flowed in the valleys and springs that bubbled in the hills. And yet, while he was on the cross, he cried out, I thirst. Jesus sent cattle lowing into the pastures, and he also clothed the fields with grain, but he himself hungered. Jesus said, the foxes have holes. And the birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his hand, head. Jesus one day walked 20 miles to catch up with a funeral procession. It was the procession of a young man that died who was a widow's son, and they were on their way to the funeral. And when Jesus caught up with the procession, he lifted that boy back to life and gave him back to his widow mother. That's the mind of Christ, an unselfish mind. You know, I uh, don't know if we will ever learn to live until we live our lives for others. And I think I have merit in the word to explain that. His mind was an unselfish mind, and it was also a mind of service. He didn't come into the world when he came in royal splendor. He didn't come in the pulp and pageantry of a king, though that's how the Judaizers expected him to come. He rather came into the world as a little helpless baby. He was laid literally in a feeding trough in a grotto carved out place in the hillside in a little stable and laid in what we now call a manger. He came in a very lowly fashion. Consequently, his whole 33 years on this earth was given, therefore, for the service of others. I'm often reminded of the night before he was crucified. If you remember, he had his disciples around him. I think it's recorded in about the 12th, 13th chapter of John. And you remember he did something, royalty did something, royalty grabbed a rag and stooped down and began to wash the disciples' feet. You remember the controversy Peter had with him of that, he said, you won't wash my feet, that's the act of a slave. And Jesus looked down and said, if I wash not your feet, you have no part of this with me, Peter. And immediately he recanted and said, not only my feet, my hands, my head, but my all. And Jesus stooped down and washed the disciples' feet, even the feet of the one who would run off to betray him for 30 pieces of silver. And when he got through bathing their feet, he looked at them and said, I have given you an example. You know, uh, heaven has the standard of greatness that the world knows nothing about, I'm afraid. My Bible says, whoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. That's greatness. It's the greatness that is evaluated from heaven. Our hands are made obviously for helping others. Our feet are to walk in the paths of righteousness. Our shoulders are to bear one another's burdens. And by the way, that's why we give prayer requests so we can share and bear one another's burdens. Our heart is to love a world that is lost as they loved me when I was lost. Our mind, is to think great thoughts after God's own heart. I've mentioned it so many times because it had such an impact on my life. Long before I ever come to know Jesus Christ as my Savior, I remember there was a sign I saw in a house. I think probably a most simplistic statement, rhyme, whatever you want to call it, but one of the most profound statements that I've ever read. And you know what it is. It's a very simple statement, only... One life it will soon be passed, and only what's done for Christ will last. I never got over that. And the more I think about that, the more I'm also having to tie into that statement what we do for others. Because Jesus says, What we do for others, inasmuch as you've done it unto the least of these, my brethren, you've done it unto me. And so, what we do in reaching others is a blessing from God and is an act to God. But his life and mine was that of humility. It says in verse 8 that he humbled himself. He left the glories of heaven, came into this wicked and wretched world, was willing to be made flesh and tabernacle among us. And when he came into the world, his was a stoop of the infinite to provide the finite With a savior consequently he humbled himself and became obedient unto death the death of the cross the death of the cross was not just thrown in there like we didn't know he died on a cross it's to say to us that was the most ignominious death one could ever die it's the place where the romans took their most incorrigible criminals and hung them on a cross and consequently they treated jesus like a common criminal. I Remember reading some time back, there was a great preacher in England by the name of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, C.H. Spurgeon. Probably the greatest preacher England ever raised. And the man had been there to hear him and was very impressed by Charles Haddon Spurgeon. He wanted his friend to go hear him and so his friend made plans to go hear Spurgeon. The next day after he had been sitting under the ministry of Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the man kept, got a hold of him and said, what do you think of Charles Haddon Spurgeon? The man said, nothing. He said, nothing. The man who's the greatest preacher in all of England, he said, no, no. That man, I saw nothing because I was too caught up with Spurgeon's Christ to notice him. You know, sometimes we get so wrapped up in the sermon we don't see the Savior. That's a terrible thing. We get so wrapped up in the preacher that we forget that it's not him that we are to see it's the christ that we're to see and jesus showed the spirit of humility throughout his whole life on earth humility does not come through introspection or retrospection if you go that route it'll lead you to a very discouraging lifestyle but i think we can have a close inspection of my savior I wish I could brag on him more. There's so much more that he, he has impressed me with, but I want to go just a little deeper with the Savior. If, his, if we we're to possess the mind of Christ, it was a mind of obedience. He was obedient unto death. You know, Jesus, unlike any other person in this world, did not come to live. We are born to live. Jesus came on purpose to die. You can read it in John 12. For this cause came I into the world. If I be lifted up, I'll draw all men unto me. This spoke he of the death. That he should die. Also, well, Chambers would tell you the cross did not just happen to Jesus. He came on purpose for it. It's interesting when you read Hebrews 9, where it says it's appointed unto man once to die. All of us are going to have to face that inevitable. But Jesus didn't die because he was a man. He reversed it. He became a man so that he could die in order that he could save you and me. What a savior. The mind of Christ. He became flesh. And when he did, he did not divest himself of his deity. He just laid aside the prerogatives of his deity for a short time, emptied himself of all but love, and bled and died for Adam's race wesley made that so clear in that hymn coming to the end of his life he looks over to the father and he prays john 17 is the high priestly prayer anytime you read john 17 tread softly you're entering into the grand sanctum sanctorium where jesus is talking to the father go in very reverently and he looked up to the father and he said father i have finished the work that you gave me to do Glorify me with the same glory I had before the world was. And he's confessed, I do always those things that please my father, the mind of Christ. Just before he went to the trials to be mocked, he was out in Gethsemane. And he was praying and great drops of blood, sweat, bloody sweat literally was dripping off his face. And he looked over to the father and said, "Uh, not my will, but thy will be done. What was his work? I finished the work I came to do. His work was to give his life a ransom for you and me. It was a mind of obedience, which led to the mind of sacrifice. Death of the cross. By the way, the key to our salvation always lies with someone else and that someone else is christ himself do you know that jesus cares more for you and me than he did himself do you remember it's always interesting that when you study the talk around the cross and if you want to study this passion week that's coming up I can tell you everything Jesus did that's recorded on that Passion Week. There's only one day that it's not recorded. He did anything because there's nothing recorded on a Wednesday. But I can tell you what he did the Sunday before Palm Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. It's interesting, however. They mocked You remember when he's hanging on the cross and they were jeering him and mocking him and said, Oh, yeah, yeah, he saved others, but he couldn't save himself. Oh, by the way, I changed that word word, couldn't to wouldn't. And the reason I say that is Jesus himself said I could have called Legion of Angels. He said I have the power to lay my life down. I have the power to take it up again. Don't tell me I couldn't save myself. But if I saved myself, you couldn't be saved. I am the propitiation for your sins. I must die to pay the price that you incurred. And if I don't pay the price, you will forever be damned. You know, his humiliation appears twice, I think. He first descended to the level of the birth in a cradle, and then he descended to his death on the cross. He taught us by humiliation the way to exaltation is through self-renunciation. If you, don't, if you don't remember anything else I say tonight, always remember that sin is to curve inward. In fact, when Eve took the fruit off of the tree, she took it into herself. And I can tell you, you can't hang on a cross and take anything inward. And you and I are to be crucified with him. Isn't it interesting when it said he emptied himself? But here, in verse 9, it said God has highly exalted him. He emptied himself, but the Father exalted him, giving him a name above every name, that the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow, every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ is Lord. Do you remember when he was on trial? And do you remember the priest looked at him and said, Is this not the son of Mary and Joseph who we know? And he declares to be the heaven that came, the man of the bread that came from heaven. He declares himself to be son. Is this not the son of? And they did not believe <coughs> he was the son of God. I can tell you when he rose from the dead on that first Easter morning, it was as though God the Father grabbed the microphone of the universe and said to them, he is the son of God. His very name, Jesus, was indicative of his mission. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. Even though Jesus lived a sinless life, can I tell you today, he could not purchase our salvation by his incomparable life. It required his sacrificial death so the day came get a picture of it because you're going to hear it this week and the next few weeks i'm sure they dragged him into the trials and they were mock trials to stand before all of the false witnesses who accused him of blasphemy they spit in his face and with flat palms they slapped him with their hands the next morning, they sent him to Pilate. Pilate was the governor of the land, and it was a custom during the feast to release one political prisoner. Jesus was a prisoner now, but there was another prisoner standing there under Pilate's jurisdiction. His name was Barabbas. Barabbas was a murderer, an insurrection that caused pain and sorrow everywhere he went. And there he stood, <clears throat> two prisoners. One the very personification of truth and righteousness in the name of Jesus, the other a murderer. And Pilate says, which of the two should I release? And which should be crucified? And in one accord, they said, crucify Christ, release Barabbas. Even Pilate knew that wasn't very smart. He grabbed a basin of water and began to wash his hands, said, see you to it. I don't want anything to do with this thing. By the way, folks, Pilate could not, nor can you and I, wash the blood of Christ off of our hands that easily and consequently they took him out. They desired a murderer rather than the Son of God. As I was listening to your pastor talking about how morally we are so degraded today, it's almost unbearable what we're seeing. Who would have ever thought even 10 years ago that we would have stooped to the low that we have stooped in our country? And by the way, it's the last bastion of hope this world has as far as freedom and spiritual freedom, and if it goes down, we'll have hell on earth, to say the least. That morning, they took him and stripped him naked. Those soldiers took him into a room, Jesus, and they put a scarlet robe on his person, and they were mocking him, and they took a crown of thorns and crushed it over his head until the blood ran down and coagulated in his eyes. They also... Gave him a reed for his hand. And then they bowed down and mocked him. And they said, yeah, hail, king of the Jews. They took him out, stripped him, and beat him with a cat of nine tails. cat of nine tails, bits of bone on the end of a whip, bits of metal, until the back was riveted like raw meat. Took the splintering log of a cross and laid it on his back. And finally, Simon of Cyrene, was carried the cross on up Calvary's hill. They led him to Calvary. Calvary is an interesting study. He came to the place they call Golgotha. That was a place carved out on the face of Mother Earth by the wrinkling hand of time in the shape of a skull. And that's where they took him and they nailed him to the cross. And then they suspended him up between heaven and earth on a cross. You have to understand, he's already fevered, he's already been beaten, he's already been ridiculed, he's already been laughed at and mocked. He's already gone through such agony of of body that you and I would never have to face. Hanging on the cross with the nails, holding himself up in order to breathe, and then his hands were nailed, and every once in a while he would hang his head down on his chest to get some relief off of his off of his hands, but it was too much. He'd have to stand on his feet so he could breathe that would go on for sometimes days and they died ultimately of suffocation but not Jesus they said that he only took him three hours but he was hanging there suspended between heaven and earth and I almost can sense the thud of a cross as it drops down in the hole and all the weight of the body on the nails of the hands and the feet suspended between heaven and earth with a convert on one side and a criminal on the other side he hung there He said, I thirst, and they gave him vinegar, and he spit it out. All of a sudden, high noon, the sun hit his face. Darkness draped this old world, and then he looks over, needing help as he never needed help before. Looked over to the father whom they were never separated from. Eternity is past and never will be again in the future. But he cried out, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why did he forsake him? Because he bore our sins. God is holy, he won't look upon sin, and his son was the very personification of the sin sacrifice, the sin offering, that's what the word propitiation means, it's our mercy seat where we receive an atonement or one with God, and God turned his back on him, and it said when he cried again with a loud voice, he yielded up the ghost and said, it is finished. I don't know what you do when you realize who we're talking about when we talk about salvation or Savior Jesus. But I gotta tell you, this world back then thought they were through with him. Those Pharisees, those atheists, those skeptics, those Judaizers, they thought we're through with this troubler of Israel. They thought he had failed in his mission. No more I have to mess with him. But he didn't say, I failed, did he? He said, it is finished. By the way, sometimes I go a little riot in my thinking, but if he would have said in the last words, I have failed, hell would have held high carnival. The demons would have been rejoicing in the regions of the damned, and angels would have dropped dead on the streets of the celestial city, and God would have had to retreat into the eternities of the past, never to be heard of again. But he didn't say, I have failed. He said, it is finished he tasted death only that he might triumph over death he was willing to become its victim in order that he might vanquish it I never have to attend a funeral I never go to a funeral I never officiate a funeral but what I realize that death has no more sting the grave has no more victory Jesus has taken it away for us man we ought to have enough to rejoice from now on until he comes I'm glad to know that three days later oh by the way nicodemus who was asking him what you know how can a man be born again nicodemus found out because if you remember it was nicodemus and joseph of arimathea that took the body of jesus and cared for it and put it in the borrowed tomb and there he laid for three days with a soldier's garden and all that was taking place but somehow something happened and the third day he kicked the ends out of the tomb, made of the thoroughfare to the new Jerusalem. He says to John over in the book of the Revelation, I'm he that liveth and was dead and behold am alive forevermore. I, I have the keys of hell and death. And these keys, one of these days, I'm going to put in a lock that hangs on the door, that swings on his putrefying hinges. And I'm going to take all death and all disease and the devil and cast them away from us forever. And there we will be done with it. The That's the Savior. Amen. I don't know about you. But I'd follow him anywhere. Took the sting out of death and the victory out of the grave so that we could live forever. There's a lot of times I like to share my personal feelings and I have to kind of restrain myself just a little bit. I don't like death. You don't like death. I don't like going to funeral homes. I don't like, I don't like that. Sometimes back a man was driving in Pennsylvania and one of the trucks had these steel rods and he slammed on the brakes and those rods went through the cab and killed him. And I was one who had to go to the wife and tell her about a dead husband. It's never easy to do that. I've never gotten over looking in the face of a little five-year-old girl. And they're hearing her cry, her last words, I can't see, and die. I don't like death. But I can tell you this much, Jesus, when he took the sting out of death and the victory out of the grave, he put the capstone on the othermost salvation. And he said, because I live, you can live one of the reasons i don't want to die and go to hell is because i love life too much one of the reasons i want to serve jesus is because he is the way the truth and the life that's the mind of christ i could go on and on i've worn you out already but i can tell you right now this is the mind the disposition the frame of mind that was in christ that he says let that mind be in you you know, we don't see a lot of that, do we? You know, I wonder why the world is the way it is. I worry more about why the church is not influencing the world more than they are. Somewhere we've let down. It was the church that showed me Jesus. There was about three ladies that came to the house and brought food for that funeral that I watched in their lives. And a man, a husband of one of the ladies, and I never saw anything like it. I thought, how do you live like this? And I couldn't rest till I found out. Jesus, the mind of Christ. Do you know there's something else about this letter? I'm through. I know you say, hurry up, preacher. I'm through. Do you know that this letter, this very short letter of four chapters, has 16 times written the word rejoice or joy? Man, being a Christian is not humdrum, it's a joy, it's fellowship. It's alive, it's real. So I would just say to you, let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. Not his intellect, he's the pattern, he's the example. That's what he told us, I've given you an example. And we need to show the world Jesus. I remember the first time I ever heard of a whole meeting out in California. I never forgot the pastor was talking to his people, and he said to them just before they dismissed, he said, I want you to go out into the world where you work and show them Jesus. I said, yeah, yeah, that's what we need to do. That's what we need to do. I wonder, I'm going to see if I can take my liberty in any way offend you but i wonder if tonight i could ask you all just to come stand in front of the pulpit and i pray with my i'd like to have a closing prayer and i'd like to pray for you and me that through these next few days of the passion week and the easter coming that we can begin to realize more and more the mind of christ would you just stand with me it's just us